Well, today, listen, we believe money certainly does talk, and we want to let our money talk. And so I'm going to ask Kelly Swan to come out here. And uh, last week we made a presentation to Kendra Morgan and uh, Building All Children. And today, my friend Kelly, uh, we've known each other from the beginning of me coming here, and uh, 12 years now. And uh, shortly after we started the church, Kelly had a conversation with a homeless man in downtown Tulsa over a meal. God birthed in his heart uh, to start a ministry. And so he and some other gentlemen in the church birthed Filling the Void. And just crossed this last week, every Friday they feed the homeless in downtown Tulsa and minister and share the gospel. And this last week, 78, that's what you said, 78,000 meals they have served. Uh, That just, we, we ought to just thank the Lord. Uh, for that. And I don't, I, I really want you to hear that that, that is not a, uh, some complicated thing. Quite honestly, it just involved very simple obedience and faithfulness on Kelly and the parts of people who are doing it. Now people serve in Dallas and in Denver, uh, as well as in Tulsa. These Filling the void is happening in those downtown cities as well. And so today, I, I want to let your money talk, and I want to make a presentation to Kelly, and, and we want to thank the Lord uh, for you and your faithfulness, and, and we love you and we appreciate you. Uh, customer service every week, they do, in, in downtown Tulsa, and I've been a few times, and they uh, meet people, share with people, love on people, minister to people, and then uh, share the gospel with people, and then uh, feed them. And it's an incredible thing. And speaking of customer service, how many of you have ever been to a place where you were dissatisfied with the customer service? Would you just put, your, put it up high where I can see it, okay? Uh, yeah, a vast majority of us have been in that situation where the customer service went south. And you've heard the phrase, you know, customer service guaranteed, right? We, we've all heard that phrase. And I don't know if you've ever been to a place where the satisfaction did not happen. And uh, let me just go on record of saying to you today, If Starbucks gets your half-skinny vanilla latte with no whip and no water wrong, that's your fault. And and, uh, because you shouldn't have ordered that complicated of a drink. That's not that girl behind the bar's fault in in relationship to giving that to you. But sometimes we go to this business and we go to, you know, some place of, uh, of public business and they say satisfaction is guaranteed. And let's just be honest. Sometimes they don't deliver on that promise, right? I mean, there are times that we go to places, and and I read about this story uh, a month or so ago about a guy named Roy Pearson and his pants. He loved this pair of pants that he had, and they were nice pants, and I think they were probably costly pants. And so he took these pants to the dry cleaners uh, that offered and had plastered all over the place, satisfaction guaranteed. And when he went a couple of days later to pick up the pants, they were missing, and he was ticked. And so this guy named Roy demanded satisfaction, and it was guaranteed, right? And that's what he kept doing is pointing to the signs and saying satisfaction is guaranteed. Obviously, I am not satisfied, and it, you know, the guarantee was not fulfilled. And so here's the question I want you to think, because you haven't read the article unless uh, you, you really peruse the Internet. But how much would you expect to be paid for a pair of missing pants? Now, I need to let you know in parentheses, they found the pants, the, the next day, 
they found the missing pants and returned them to him. But how much would you expect to get back uh, in, in exchange for this satisfaction guarantee that was not met? I mean, $6.70 for, uh, you know, the dry cleaning bill that you would get that back, right? Or, or maybe $67 for the pants or $167 for the pants. But uh, maybe if you were kind of crazy, $67,000. I mean, if you were really, really upset, you would sue for $67,000. Well, Roy Pearson was really, 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 really upset. $67 million upset. And he sued the dry cleaners for $67 million because they misplaced his pants for one day. Now, clearly the judge kicked that case out and made Roy pay all of the court fees. But that is really upset, isn't it? I mean, that, that makes you think. Sometimes we overreact to, you know, a bad customer service experience. But what does satisfaction guaranteed really mean? And last week we started this series that we're calling Money Talks, and we said that when we put Jesus at the center of our lives, everything else will line itself up. And Jesus at the middle, and Jesus at the center, and Jesus on the top rung. And when Jesus is in charge of our lives, our lives are better. But when we get Jesus out of order and we put him second or we put him third or we put him fifth or we put him tenth in our lives, then we end up with this big out of order sign hanging on our lives. And we said that the one area that so many of us get Jesus out of order in is in the area of finances. And it's in the area of giving, especially the tithe. And we, we used this illustration last week where I took these ten $1 bills, and, and I said to you that if you got $10, and if you weren't here last week, let's play along today, you got $10, and that's how much you were blessed with, how much is the tithe? One, right? One of these is the tithe, because that's all tithe means is a tenth. And we asked the question last week, which one is the tithe? You remember the answer? The first one, right? And, and I don't know if that's stage right or stage left or audience right or audience, I don't know. But in my mind, this is the first one, right? And, and so, because I read from left to right. And so the first one, the very first one that comes in and, and the one right off the top, why? Because that is putting Jesus first. And when we do that, the rest of our finances fall into place and begin to fall into order. So today, uh, we're going to continue that thought at Jesus at the center of our lives. And, and I just tell you what you need to know today. When you put Jesus at the center of your lives, he will satisfy you. He will. And, and when we seek Jesus first above all else, you will be satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. And companies like Walmart, and Ford and DirecTV, uh, they offer, you know, satisfaction guaranteed, but there's really only one source of true satisfaction. His name is Jesus. And that's where true satisfaction comes from. And the people in the story we've been looking at the last uh, week and going to continue today, in Elijah's story, in Elijah's day, they learned that lesson the hard way. Listen, they knew and they were taught for years and years and years and years and years that following God would guarantee satisfaction in their world. Look, look at this passage of Scripture all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, in verse 1, it says, If you fully obey the Lord your God, and carefully keep all of his commands that I am giving you today. Remember, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Moses is giving this a second time. 
The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. And you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. God had promised them that. They had been taught that. This has been written on the doorpost and been hanging in front of their eyes. And this was a part of their culture. And, and then Moses goes on and lists all of these great things and all of these great blessings. You skip down to verse 12. Same chapter, Deuteronomy 28, and it says, The Lord will send rain, we talked about that last week, right, at the proper time from his rich treasury in heaven, and he will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands, the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. The Lord will always make you on top and never at the bottom. Listen, that is such a great, great, great promise. And it was for all of God's children who will follow after him. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, this was not about a bless me God. This was not about bless me, bless me, bless me. This was about satisfaction and finding satisfaction in God. It was not about having this more and more and more and more. It was about being satisfied in God and having enough. Uh, we, we looked uh, last week at this Psalm, Psalm 63, verse five. It says, you satisfy me more than the richest feast, I will praise you with the songs of joy. It's about being satisfied in God. And even today in our culture, we're trying to find satisfaction out here and out here and out here and all these other things. But God is warning us and he is pointing us back to Jesus all the time. He Hebrews chapter 13 says, don't love money. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has declared, I will never fail you and I will never, ever, ever abandon you. And so when we seek Jesus first before money and we seek Jesus first before anything else, he will satisfy us. Remember this passage that we looked at for several weeks now, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. There we go. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things that we think will satisfy us, all these things that we think we need, all these things that we think we want, all these things will be given to you as well. And, and the people of Israel in the days of Elijah, they knew this, right? That they understood this, but they didn't listen to God. They knew to put God first. And they knew if they did that, they would be satisfied. And, and they knew that if they got God out of order in their lives, their lives would follow and would be out of order themselves. And we saw in 1 Kings chapter 17, this came true, right? We looked at this last week. And if you weren't here, go back and catch up. But in, in 1 Kings 17, Elijah prophesied it, that God's going to dry up the skies, and the land will suffer as a result. And because they had turned their backs on God and started to serve Baal and Asherah, they turned to other gods and they worshiped false idols. And God said, no more rain and no more blessing upon the land. And then we went one chapter further into 1 Kings 18 and we found that it had been three years, three long, long years with no rain and no cloud and no shade and the skies were brass and the soil was dust and, and they were now in a drought. And they were in this famine and they were in this, this uh, sickness that was crawling across the land. Why? Because they had stopped serving God. 
And because God loved them, he allowed their economy to crash. And and this was a top-down problem, right? The king was a bad king. The queen was a bad king. Ahab and Jezebel were the worst king and queen probably in history. And they led the whole nation of Israel away from God, and all of the people followed after them. And then we jump down to verse 19 in 1 Kings chapter 18, and it tells us how far they had gone and how far they had turned their back on God. They had chased after Asherah, and they'd chased after Baal. And the prophets of Asherah and Baal, the Bible tells us, sat and ate at the queen's table. They ate at Queen Jezebel's feast on a regular basis while the rest of the country was out there starving in this famine that was going on. And their focus and their priorities were so shifted off of God onto other things because they had turned their back on God. And God, because he loved them, allowed that economy to fail. Now, I want you to write this down, and I want you to ponder this this week. Ultimately, this is a trust issue. Giving God priority in our lives is all about trusting him. Giving God priority in our lives is all about trusting him. And perhaps the hardest area for us to trust God in is in the area of our giving. Jesus said it would be the greatest competitor for our heart, the love of money. Jesus declared you can't serve both God and money. And and I'm sure the people in Elijah's day had plenty of excuses for taking God out of his rightful spot and moving him down a rung or two or three. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at four excuses we give in our culture to not give to God. Four things that I hear and, and four things that we say to excuse ourselves from not giving. Four things that we use to convince ourselves that it's okay to put Jesus in the second place or the third place. And the first one is this. I've heard it a couple of times. I, I can't trust the church. I can't trust the church. Uh, to which I would say, what? You know, and well, you, you can't trust the church. Now, listen, I want you to be very, very clear. I'm not asking you to trust the church. I'm asking you to place your trust in God. He is trustworthy. And I know there are churches and I know that pastors as a whole have not done a great job at lifting up the truth and presenting the truth and sharing the gospel and it not becoming some weird you know, thing. And God is the one, this is what I want you to see, God is the one who set this system up to work through the local church. God's the one who did that. This is not my idea, right? I I didn't come up with this idea. Jesus came up with this idea thousands of years ago. And guess what? 2,000 years later, it's still working. And it is still going. And it is still a part of God's plan. And there are a lot of things that are not around today that were around 2,000 years ago, right? Lots and lots and lots of things. In fact, there are things uh, not around today that were around a few years ago, just a few years ago. Anybody still got a MySpace account? Right? I mean, the the truth of the matter is, is a lot of people feel they can't trust the church and so they don't give, but they're missing out on the opportunity of this huge blessing and opportunity to trust God in their lives. When you give, it's not trusting the church, it's trusting God and and it's placing your trust on God. The local church is God's plan. It is his blueprint for saving the world. And so when you give to the church, you're giving to the Lord. Uh, But for some people, they still want to know where's the money going because they, you know, they view it like an investment and, and you know, they want to see the portfolio and they want to look at the portfolio. And so to be honest and transparent with everyone and to put all the cards on the table and just remove any fear uh, that you may have around here, I, I want to show you exactly what we do with the money and where we spend our money. I just want to give you the, uh, the three stats for every dollar that's given at TC. 
35% goes to the campuses and the operations, okay? Everything that we do at all of the, these campuses, whether it's Battle Creek, downtown, uh, Chicago, Midtown, and now in Cairo, and then the 33% of it goes to next-gen ministry, which means we spend one-third of every dollar that comes ministering to babies through high school uh, seniors, and then 32% of it goes to adult outreach and adult ministry, 32%. So for every dollar that comes in here, what you learn from that, every penny goes towards the mission. Every dollar you give goes towards fulfilling the TC mission. I, I, want, I want you to hear me when I say this. We don't believe in missions. I hear people say that all the time. Man, I'm all about missions. I, and I just want to say to you, listen, I don't believe in plural missions. I think that's where we get in real, real trouble. Because when we allow them to be plural, then all of a sudden it's about of whose mission is more important. Is her mission or his mission or that mission or, or, or you know, this place or that place? And, and we try to jockey for priority in all of this. I believe in mission. There's only one mission, and it's the mission of Jesus. And we need to get on his mission and quit trying to elevate all of our missions. And so every, every dollar that you and I give around here, it goes to that. All right, number two excuse that I hear uh, sometimes and I, and I didn't put the first one up here. Let me, uh, I got way behind, didn't I? Number two, I, I don't like feeling guilty. I don't like feeling guilty. Which I would say to you, then don't, right? I mean, that, that, that's up to you. I, we're, we're not trying to guilt anyone into anything. I had this conversation a few months ago, and somebody said, yeah, but Alex, you talk about this so much. You, you bet we talk about it. You know who else talked a lot about giving? Jesus. Talked a lot about it. He talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell and love combined. And so, of course, we're going to talk about it. Anytime we talk about money, by the way, I've said this, and I hope this will resonate down into your heart, and not just those of you here on one of our campuses, but those of you watching online today. When we talk about money, listen, we're not talking about what we want from you. We are talking about what we want for you. And we talk about it because we know that ultimately this comes down to and is a spiritual issue. And that money talks in our spirit. And it's because we know if you get out of order in your wallet, your life will follow. And so we talk about money and if you feel guilty, listen, that's not on the church. It's not on the church at all. Some of my favorite passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I love those chapters. In fact, that ought to be the homework this week. Read those two chapters of Scripture this week, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And, and in those passages, Paul is talking about free will offerings. Okay, He's not talking about the tithe. He's talking, about, he's talking to people who already gave way more than the tithe. And there's a special offering that need, needs to happen. And the mothership in Jerusalem is suffering. And so where they all were birthed out of, we need to take an offering to give to another church outside of the city where we belong and outside of uh, our immediate need and immediate cause. And, and this is what he says to them in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Look, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now he's talking about over and above giving. He's saying, decide in your own heart. In other words, don't look at a picture of kids starving in Africa and get all emotional about it and say, well, i got to give to that, i got to give to that. He said, no, 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 that's giving 101. That's emotional giving. I want you to decide in your heart. I want you to pray about this. I want you to think about this. I want you to meditate on this. this God is saying this is a heart issue. It is an emotional issue. It is not a guilt 
issue. And by the way, this is the only place I know of anywhere in Scripture, in all of Scripture, that we are commanded to follow our heart in obeying God. And so, in other words, don't let guilt factor into this. Guilt has no place there. God knows that emotions are a part of giving. And he does not say, by the way, only cheerful people give. That's not what he says. Here's what he says. Givers will be cheerful people. And so when you give, then all of a sudden you become a cheerful person. And if you give out of guilt... It's not what he's talking about. If you give without guilt, something amazing happens. You get happy. And that thing happens in you, and it's really, really cool to watch. The the third thing, uh, excuse, is that I'll start giving when I have more to give. To which my response to that is, really? Let's just be intellectually, you know, present in this equation for a second. Do you really think that that is true? Because it isn't true. In fact, all of the studies reveal that the more people earn, the less they give. That's weird. It's not true for all people, but it's true across the board study-wise that the richest give a smaller percentage uh, uh, to charity than the poor do. In fact, three times less. In in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, look look what the Bible says. If you are faithful in the little, I'm going to put you in charge of a lot. He doesn't say wait till you have more to start giving. He says be faithful with what you have now. That, that's like your kid coming up to you and saying, Dad, once I get a BMW, I'll take care of my car. But because I got a Ford Festiva right now, I'm going to drive it in the ground, right? And I'm just going to spill Coke and pop all over it right now. But once I get a good one, I'm going to take care of it. If you're a dad, question, does that make sense? To you, are you going to reward that? Of course not. You're not going to reward that. In fact, let me just say to all the single ladies in the room, right? That's like you thinking, well, he treats me bad now, but once we get married, everything will change. No. That is wrong. If he can't be faithful now, what makes you think he's going to change and be good to you after you're married? Listen, we need to be faithful with what God has given us right now. That means we tithe. That means we become a percentage giver. That means that we have the attitude of the widow with the two coins. We give from what we have, and God blesses that. So last excuse I want to show you today for not giving is I'm afraid. I am afraid, and a lot of people say this, and it's normal. I want you to hear me say that. It's normal, and it's human to be afraid. And I'm not going to beat you over the head. I'm not going to call you sinful, but I do want you to hear this. If you're afraid, that's a trust issue. It is. And again, I'm not saying that you have to completely trust the church. You need to work on that. But what I am saying is trust God. Listen, he is for you. Don't you think Elijah was afraid in that story that we've been looking at? Of course he was afraid. In 1 Kings 17, remember, he prophesied that God would stop the rain and dry it all up, and it happened. And then God says, you better run, Elijah, because Ahab is coming for you, and he's going to try to kill you. And, And we go one chapter later, three years of drought, three years of drought, and Elijah is still on the run. He's still running from the leader and the bad, bad king. And you jump to chapter 18 in verse 1, and it says, And the Lord said to Elijah, Go present yourself to King Ahab. 
Which we were reading that, and, and unless you know the context, you'd skip right over that. But if you know the context of how bad this guy is and he's trying to kill him, and God says, I want you to go present yourself to King Ahab, we go, what? I, if I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, wait a minute, God. Are you sure? Are you really, really sure? God, you got a plan, right? And that plan includes me living, doesn't it, right? It includes me growing old, right, God? I, I, I want to know. Elijah had to be afraid, but his faith in God was greater than his fear. And his faith in God ended up ultimately destroying any fear that he had. So Elijah had faith in God. And the faith was about to rattle all of the Israelites and shake off any and all of the excuses that they had as the children of God. And he tells Ahab, you go get all of the prophets of Baal and you go get all of the prophets of Asherah and, and you bring them together and you call all of the nation of Israel together at Mark, Mount Carmel. And, and in chapter 18, you, you skip ahead a couple of verses into verse 20. And it says, so Ahab summoned all the people. If you got your Bible, I want you to circle that word all every time it appears in, in this text. All the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of these people and, and listen to what he said. How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. That last line is so sad and it is so revealing. It's so revealing of their true allegiance. That phrase in the scripture, hobbling between two opinions, hobbling between two opinions, it has a few meanings in the uh, biblical dictionaries. And one of the ways to interpret that phrase is kind of hopping on one foot and, and, and moving, you know, on one foot and doing this thing. And, and, you know, I don't know if you've paid attention, but all musicians, you know, have, they have this thing, this, this tell that, that they do and they're trying to keep the beat or whatever. And I don't understand any of that because I don't, I don't keep any beats and I'm terrible. I have no musical gift whatsoever. But Jeff Osborne, who's up here periodically, in fact, he was here Christmas Eve. We were sitting on the front row. This is his thing. Right? You know, he kind of he does this thing. And on Christmas Eve, Limley was standing right beside me, and Limley goes, Daddy. I said, what is it, honey? And she said, that boy playing a guitar needs to pee. <laughs> she said, you should go relieve him so he can go use the bathroom. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I said, he doesn't need to pee. She said, he needs to pee really, really bad. And that is a good picture of what that looks like in the Hebrew. That, that one way to interpret it is you're hopping on one foot like a kid does when he does the pee-pee dance, right? But he won't go pee. And no, you got to go to the bathroom? No, I don't know. And everybody around him who's over eight knows he needs to go to the bathroom, right? But Elijah is saying that to the whole nation of Israel. Maybe your God is doing the pee-pee dance. And maybe he's not listening because he's out, you know, taking care of those matters. Another way to look at it is the image of someone walking on a tightrope, right? And they're swaying back and forth, back and forth, trying to keep their balance. And, and you remember the guy who used to walk across the Grand Canyon and all those things, you know, on the tightrope? Amazing guy. But let's be honest. Why were we watching that? Let's just tell the truth, right? We want to see him fall, right? We're not, we're not really just, you know, cheering. Admit that for a moment. That, that helps your heart to just be honest with yourself. No, we're watching to see him fall. And he makes it all the way across and we go, oh, you know, oh, well, right? And, and, 
But the nation of Israel is walking a tightrope here. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And they are double-minded. And they can't make up their minds. And their allegiance is torn between God and the world. Now, you keep that in mind. And let's keep reading in this text of Scripture, okay? Let's, Let's go on. Now, bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever bull they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. In other words, don't cheat, right? Let's stay with this thing. And he says, and then I will prepare the other bull and will lay it on uh, the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it as well. And he says, then call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of of the Lord. Now watch what he says about the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all of the people agree. So the ground rules have been laid. Everybody understands them and everybody is in agreement. And the challenge has been accepted. And the prophets of Asherah agree. And the prophets of Baal agree. But don't miss the point. What's the challenge? The challenge is fire. Right? And the true God is going to answer by setting fire to this altar. Now, keep in mind the context. It hasn't rained in three years. All of the ground is dry. All of the plants are dried up. And let's see if we can put some fire in this equation, right? And and bring fire to the table. And Elijah is all alone versus the 850 false prophets. And he is ready for a miracle from God Almighty. Now, next week, listen, don't miss next week. I'm going to show you what happens in this showdown. And if you're raised in church, listen, don't, don't, you probably know the story. Don't ruin it for, for the other people around you. But if you haven't heard this story, you are in for an amazing, story, this great, great, great story. But today, I want us to look at what happens with the false prophets of Baal in their turn. They prepare the sacrifice, and they call on Baal, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And you you go uh, to the next verse, and it says, about noontime. You know what that means? It's been three hours. Three hours. Elijah, now he's mocking them, by the way. And he says, you'll have to shout louder. Perhaps he's deaf, right? Perhaps your God is not present, for surely he is a God. Perhaps he's out daydreaming or relieving himself. That's what the Bible literally says. And then he says, as is their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushes out. And by the way, relieving themselves in the Bible. Some of you are offended by the pee-pee dance thing. That's the Bible. Right? It means exactly what you think it means. Maybe he's out relieving himself. And you ought to read your Bible sometimes. Very, very interesting. And it says that was their normal custom. What what does that mean that was their normal custom to cut themselves until blood gushes out? They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood is running out of them. Listen, that's what they did when they worshiped Baal. What's the application there? When you fail to put Jesus in the center of your lives, your life is out of order. And you end up hurting yourself. That's what God is trying to teach us here. Listen, the prophets of Baal, they were out hurting themselves. Why? They had God in the wrong place. And it says that they raved. Watch this. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. All afternoon. But still there was no sound, no reply, and no response. But seek 
No response. I was going to read you more. Well, listen, when we get to this place where we put our trust in money or we put our trust in things or we put our trust in cars or we put our trust in homes or we put our trust in relationships. Listen, when we put our trust in anything but God, bad stuff happens. That's the way this plays out. And you get nothing in return. When you serve the world, nothing in return. It's the worst investment of all time. You get nothing back from putting your trust into the world. But when you place your trust in God, good things follow and good things happen. And Matthew 6.33, that verse we just looked at, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given unto you. And some of you are here today and you're hopping back and forth between a couple of gods. And some of you are watching online today and you're hopping back and forth between uh, two different gods or you're walking that tightrope between God and the world. And Jesus said, listen, here's what he said, you can't love two gods. It's impossible to do. And you're <clears throat> hopping back and forth between the world and God. We've looked at this before, but the prophet James, in the book of James, he calls that double-minded. In James chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Do not waver. In other words, don't hop back and forth as if you can't decide. For the person with divided loyalty, and again, most translations call that double-minded. It, it, it says he is unsettled. He's unsettled like a wave in the water, like a wave, you know, coming into the shore. And, and it's blown away and tossed back and forth by the wind. But that word double-minded is the word in the Greek, daisukos. Sukos is where we get our word psychology or psyche. And it literally should be translated double-souled. You, you make no mistake about this. This is a soul issue. It's a soul issue. And some of you have something in your life and in your soul that is dividing you. And you feel that pull towards God completely, yet you, something is blocking you. And you can't get through that and you can't get past that. That thing is a divided soul. And listen, I want to say to you, majority of the time, that goes back to iniquity that is generations old. That's something in the bloodline that goes back. It's called, the Bible calls it the sins of the fathers. And until we take care of that issue, we will always be hopping back and forth between the world and God and allegiance to God and allegiance to that and allegiance to God and allegiance to this. And that's something we've got to take care of, and I want to help you do that today. And so on all of our campuses, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? And Whether you're watching online or you're uh, at, at a campus today, I want you to bow your heads. And I just want to lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. <laughs> if you feel like your allegiance is divided, you feel like you're hopping between two allegiances, Right where you're seated, just under your breath, would you just begin to talk to God about that? And then would you declare to him today and invite him, Yahweh, the great I am. Whatever you need, that's what he is. You need redeemer, he's redeemed. You need a savior, he's savior. You need a forgiver, he's forgiver. You, you need a friend, he's a friend. You need someone who will hold you, he'll hold you. 
would you just say to him, I give every inch of every part of me to you. Every nook and every cranny in my body, in my soul, and in my spirit. I give it all to you, Jesus. And I surrender to your Lordship in every single area of my life. And from all of my being and all that I am, I declare Jesus Christ is Lord and has all authority in every facet of my life. My allegiance will not be divided. I give it all and submit it all to the person of Jesus Christ. And some of you are here today and you've never trusted Jesus for salvation. You've never given your life to him. And you need to do that today. And maybe you're like these uh, four friends of mine who've given their life to Christ over the years on a snowy, snowy Sunday. And today you're watching online or today you've slipped into one of our campuses and you've never trusted Christ. You've been hopping back and forth for so long and, and you're tired of hopping. And today you need to choose. You need to choose Jesus. And so right where you're seated, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to pray this out loud. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. As an encouragement to you, the believers in the room are going to pray it out loud around you just to encourage you. So right where you're seated, would you just say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say, amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for truth and thank the Lord today for meeting with us.